Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis, and TalkSport football correspondent, Alex Crook, as the Women's Euros starts this week and the Lionesses get off to a winning start. Here's me testing the ball down. Kirby's played her in. She leaves it over the top of the goalkeeper. It's go. off the top of the crossbar. Has it's it go. gone in? It has yes. crossed the line. And England celebrate their first goal of the European Championship 2022. Beth Mead scored the decisive goal as England beat Austria in front of a record crowd at Old Trafford, but there is room for improvement. Did Wiegmann make the right call on team selection? Did Ellen White do enough to keep her place? And why did we have a VAR review when there was GDS available? Uh, also, a sterling signing for Chelsea, Cristiano planning to do Ron, <laughs> and Tielemans to Arsenal, possibly. It's all on the podcast that we'll never call it a day, even if 52, 53, 54, 55 co-hosts resign. It's the game day podcast from Talk Sport. This is game day. <laughs> oh, you like that one, did you? Do you like that one? Pretty good. Pretty oh, okay, good. all right. Okay, so we'll give that a thumbs up. Welcome to the Game Day Podcast, everyone. Uh, what a night at Old Trafford it was last night. Uh, the tournament given the perfect launch by the people of uh, Manchester. Atmosphere really good, family friendly, uh, excitable. I missed the mip. Uh, popping into the fan party outside and taking in the general mood. Everyone was embracing uh, the ambience. It was really nice. It was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. The fireworks before the game, uh, the, the noise generated by the crowd. It was nice to see a positive atmosphere at Old Trafford because that hasn't happened um, for a while. And it, it, it's the perfect start to the tournament. And I think it's a massive illustration of how far the women's game has come in terms of how much it now captures the, the public consciousness and in terms of the press box as well, Sam, because you'll know the Old Trafford press box isn't the most spacious uh, by all accounts. It was uh, packed to the rafters, which wouldn't have happened 15 years ago for the opening game of, of a women's European championship. Well, they built so. an extra press box. So they built an, uh, two extra sides to the press box at Old Trafford and... It was first come, first serve in the written media bit. So basically, you registered for your interest and then you had to get there first and you had to claim a desk. And there was some chief football writers of some papers who couldn't go in and sit down because there was uh, there was no, no, no room. Do you know, as uh, Crook's been saying, that last night was the most significant aspect of the game. I know the result, we'll get to the actual football in a second. But a lot of work has gone into growing the game from people in and around it, not least your, two, your good selves, Talk Sport as a station, Faker Others, our colleagues, so many of our colleagues on, on Talk Sport have worked incredibly hard to grow the game. And when you look at the calibre of the people who are covering the game, it tells you everything about where it is. We are recording this on Thursday morning. I've been having a look through not only my paper, obviously, and I don't know what's in it, but also the other papers as well. And the column inches, the back page, the pictures, the, the, the wonderful insight, um, the colour pieces around it. We have come a long way, as you've been saying, Crook, from the days when women's football was a footnote in one or two newspapers, if it had any space at all. And so I don't think we now are at the stage where we should be saying there isn't any interest in the women's game anymore, because I think what we saw on Wednesday night and what we saw at Old Trafford in the press box on Wednesday night tells us that now that whole thing has now come to an end. 
Yeah, I think it was a momentous day for women's football in the country. A record crowd of 68,781 for a European Championship match. And it hasn't always been like that. And late after the final whistle last night, Leanne Sanderson and I bumped into three women who were part of Leanne's football upbringing at Arsenal. Uh, one lady called Lynn, who had had a really good time. That's what I'm going to say. And <laughs> Jill Coulthard, who had played for England in the 80s. And she said that they stood at Old Trafford and had a moment on, th- on Wednesday night. They stood at Old Trafford, Old Trafford, and watched England play at Old Trafford. And it took them aback. You know, it was very emotional. The guys hugged. They were reflecting on the journey of, of women's football over 20 years. You know, these these ladies were in their uh, late 50s. They were reflecting on what it was like when they were playing and involved. Lynn was talking about how Leanne, when she was 11, 12 years of age, was playing football and it was difficult to get the, the team together. And now, you know, standing at Old Trafford and watching the reception that the girls got last night was, was brilliant. And it was, it was really... It was a it was a brilliant occasion, I thought, and I thought Old Trafford actually was dressed brilliantly, and the organisation of the whole event was 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 superb. But it was a worthwhile journey uh, because um, it, it, it produced this event that we've got the luxury of looking forward to for the next twenty five days. Let's have a look at what happened in the game. Why weren't England as fluent as they have been recently? Do you know what? Let's let's talk it out. Oh yes, anthem song, a tournament to be won. A referee from Spain opens Euro 22, England in white, Austria in black. Every time we get to a tournament, whether it be the men or the women, everyone thinks we're going to win it. We have to believe we can win it, but we need to manage that. Here's me testing the ball down, Kirby's played her in. She loops it over the top of the goalkeeper, it's going off the top of the crossbar. Has it gone in? It has crossed the line. And England celebrate their first goal of the European Championships 2022. This England team need me. England have won it back. High inside Austrian territory. Kirby sends it square into him. Inside the air. Right footed shot. Stopped by the goalkeeper. And flicked over the top and out for a corner. Picked up uh, by the... Uh for Dunst, who shoots towards the far corner and Mary Herbs had to spring to her left-hand side and push it round the post. 68,871, it's a record for a European Championships game. The first of what England hope will be six matches at Euro 22, finishes in front of a record crowd at Old Trafford. England won, Austria nil. England boss Serena Wiegmann described the winning start to the European Championship as important while stressing that her side can perform better and she's not wrong after the Lionesses opened their home campaign with a 1-0 victory over Austria. Beth Mead's 16th minute goal provided the only goal of the tournament curtain raiser. Look, the key decision, Darren, before the start of the game was whether uh, she was going to play Williamson in midfield or at the back or whether she was going to bring back Lucy Bronze. But actually... What turned out to be that she left Alex Greenwood out and allowed Rachel Daly to play at left back, which I'm not necessarily sure worked because Daly grew into the game, certainly initially. Looked as if she had a tough first 10 minutes. The whole group had a tough 10 minutes when the nerves were jangling. But she looked awkward as a right-footed left back. She's not a left back. She's not really a right back. She's a forward and she's playing mm. out of position for England and has been uh, whenever asked to do so. And she's very versatile and she does a good job at right back. She does a good job when she's playing right midfield. But she is an out-and-out attacking midfielder stroke striker when she's playing for the Houston Dash. So playing at left back seemed very odd, bearing in mind that Alex Greenwood is not only a terrific left back, but a potentially brilliant left centre back who's had an absolutely superb season for Manchester City. I found that a strange situation, a, a strange decision. Yeah, I did too. It smacked of a determination to get her into the team no matter what. Um, and I, I can only assume that she must have trained really well um, and that Serena Vigwin wanted to uh, kind of include her in her plans to send out some sort of message that, you know, if you impress me, I'll reward you. But I think you're right, it didn't quite work. In those early stages, Austria looked as though they'd get a foothold in the game. And it looked as though it could be a much tougher assignment uh, and a tougher opening game than many people thought it would be on paper. Um, 
And it would have been interesting to see what had happened if England had gone for longer without scoring with that in mind. Um, I mean, look, on a positive note, I did think the passing was very good. I I thought Beth Mead was terrific. Um, I thought it was a well-taken goal. I I know in the preamble you mentioned that whole thing around uh, (laughs) VAR when you have GDS. And to me, I have to say, I'm I'm surprised not more was not made of that with our on-screen colleagues. It was totally ludicrous. Basically, what happened was, is Beth Mead gets the ball, chests it down inside the penalty area, goalkeeper comes out, and Zinsberger, who is her teammate at Arsenal, she lifts it over the top of her, and the ball goes towards the goal. Now, obviously, you can't see with the naked eye whether the whole ball has crossed the line. It's cleared off the line and onto the crossbar, then comes back down and is cleared away. So... The question is, did the ball cross the line? Now, we have this thing called gold decision system technology, which basically sends within half a second a vibration to a referee's watch, which it did. So the ball crossed the line and the watch goes off. Then for some reason, we go to a VAR review that takes 45 seconds to a minute to review the whole situation. So initially, we all thought, well, they must be checking for offside. No, we got confirmation from them. They definitely were checking to see whether the ball had crossed the line. So not only did they have the GDS to tell them that the ball had gone over the line and it was a goal, they then had to double and triple check via VAR. Now, was this just because they wanted to show that VAR was in action? Was this just because they've erected a new, big, huge screen at Old Trafford and they wanted to use it? I don't know. However, it seemed like an absolute ludicrous waste of time. And it was, because it was a goal. And, and Leanne was saying during the uh, during the course of the commentary, you know, we, we only saw it once and we knew it crossed the line just from, you know, a television replay. So we didn't even need to go through that rigmarole in the first place. Can I ask you, though, in, in general, in my opinion, uh, and the wonderful thing about the coverage of this is that we are judging the women as harshly as we judge the men. Yeah, because they are top class players, and we are long since the days when when our female competitors were patronised, uh, uh, certainly by us and also by by our female colleagues as well. I thought our finishing wasn't good. I thought our finishing needed to be a lot better. I thought we were nervous in front of goal. I thought our decision making in the final third was not good. I be- I think on the right side, we took too many touches when the first time ball in would have done. And I think that's going to have to improve if England are going to live up to any kind of favouritism because obviously the calibre of opposition is going to get higher. Yeah, I agree um, with you. I, I think if they had played a better calibre of opposition last night, they probably would have been punished. In fact, Austria had their chances and towards the end of yeah. the game, I was worried that they were going to get something out of the match, mainly because I, I thought the officials were poor. Look, they're amateur officials, but some simple calls were wrong. And towards yeah. the end, I felt as if, you know, they were going to give something against England when the pressure was starting just to ramp up a little bit. Mm. Austria, Mary Earps had to make a really good save towards the end of that game as well uh, from Barbara Dunst. I thought you, you're absolutely spot on about the attacking situation with England the talent they've got in those areas is is brilliant but sometimes I just think maybe everyone wants to be the hero so you know taking shots on from distance when that's not necessarily the right call playing the right ball at the right time decision making in the final third has got to improve and also rushing things you know they're just rushing a little bit and Serena Vigman spoke about that afterwards and she was saying look you know what sometimes we just got into good positions and then rushed the situation so that was a little bit disappointed but I think that's sometimes down to a tournament nerves look when I was talking to Leanne last night she was saying that you know the Alex Greenwood thing sometimes coaches when they get to tournaments coaches make stupid decisions like they just it it gets it it gets above them and they start oh god right okay I'm just gonna make this decision we were talking about how great Serena Veeman was tactically prior to the start of the tournament but actually you know that decision to play Alex Greenwood last night was really odd because it takes a yeah. major weapon away from England. She has yeah. got the best set-piece delivery probably in the team as she wasn't involved. A third of all goals at European Championships are scored by uh, the set-piece method. So why would you not have that in your armoury? And, you know, the, the, you're right, you know, because sometimes, and, and we do this, we're all, all of us are prone to doing this. Because someone's got an excellent record, sometimes we see them as infallible. And we don't see it to be the case that they could make a mistake. And quite clearly, if you have a pair of eyes, you could see that was a mistake. Mm. 
she has credit in the bank, obviously, because of what she did with the Netherlands and because of the impact that she's made since she's taken over the Lionesses. But it's okay to say she made a mistake. Yeah. I think you and, and Leanne were absolutely right. And that was a poor decision. Yeah, and I think that sort of idea of sort of tournament mode and making odd decisions sort of comes into it when you're playing as well. So you're in the final third and you're thinking, right, okay, I've got to make an impact here. It's the opening game. There's 77,000 people here. We just got, you know, we've got to score a second goal. I'll shoot from 25 yards when I don't need to. You know, there's a better ball on. There was one particular incident where the ball came up to Ellen White and she tried to head the ball goalwards and the ball would, wasn't really on for her to do that. She's 12, 13 yards from goal. She can't head the ball on target from there with any real power and test the goalkeeper. But Fran Kirby is to her right, five yards away, screaming for the ball. You know, that's where you need that that sort of intelligent sort of awareness of what else is going on around you. And actually, Ellen White did that most of the night. And when she went off, it was noticeable that the ball didn't stick up um, in attack. I mean, I do think her position is under threat, though, because, you know, she missed a, another good chance. But this is this is exactly my point. I thought our passing in the middle of the pitch was very good, very crisp, very direct. I, I Certainly some of the one-touch passing, really a joy to behold. But then we get into the final third, and there were moments, as you were saying, Sam, where people wanted to be the hero. They were taking too many touches. They were going for goal from too far out. And then when balls were coming in, the precision just wasn't there when we've seen them score. And, and I had a feeling this would happen, you know, when they were raining in goals in some of the warm-up games. And I was thinking, I hope they're not using them all up ahead of the tournament. But, but ultimately, they haven't scored that many goals against the, the good teams. So when they played in the Arnold Clark Cup, when they played uh, against Spain and, and Canada and Germany, they, they don't score well, I remember saying goals. it after Switzerland. Um, I think, that was, was it 4-0 against Switzerland? Yeah. Uh, and I remember after that game thinking, you know, that it's wonderful because it takes you into a tournament with a feeling of euphoria and real optimism. Uh, but it's very easy in those warm-up games. But when you get into a tournament proper and the pressure's on, can you replicate that kind of goal-scoring performance? And clearly they couldn't. It also leaves you at a risk of a, a bit of an anti-climax when the actual, actual tournament gets underway in terms of performance because expectation levels have been raised especially from fans who maybe haven't watched a lot of the Lionesses and there will be a new breed of fans who have jumped on the bandwagon, which is a great thing for the sport, as we've discussed. But in many ways, it was just a classic opening game of the tournament, wasn't it? A, yeah. a, a nervy 1-0 win. We've seen that at World Cups and, and European Championships. Um, tournament in, tournament out. Ultimately, they did miss opportunities. I think they will get sharper in front of goal as the tournament goes on. But it didn't cost them because they come away with a victory. They're in a great position now to qualify from the group because they'll beat Northern Ireland, let's be honest, in their final match. So they can go into the second game with a little bit of the pressure off. And I would expect England to grow into a tournament. And Sam, I remember when we were speaking about maybe a slow start by the men's team at the European Championships, that underwhelming performance against Croatia. And you were saying, that's fine. The teams who win tournaments grow into it. They don't start all guns blazing. Yeah. So That was me. That was me last week when I said teams that win tournaments aren't necessarily easy on the eye. But well, you, you two think up. alike. You, you two great minds obviously think alike. But I remember Sam giving me a bit of a lecture after I was underwhelmed by England's performance I did, against Croatia. Yeah, this was a year ago and I did give you a bit of a lecture. And you, you, you didn't like it, did you? But they got to the final, didn't they? They were within a penalty shootout of winning the whole thing, which was amazing. Um, I give credit to Austria as well, by the way. This is a team that only conceded three in qualifying. Stubborn. Only dropped points to France in qualifying. They were never going to be simple, especially with the emotion, the adrenaline flowing. But I do, I do think that England will have to play better in the next game against Norway. I'd like to see Alex Greenwood in the starting lineup. I'd like to maybe see Alicia Russo from the start. And it may well be that Fran Kirby has to manage her minutes. I think England will probably play their first team against uh, Norway down in uh, Brighton. But I think when it comes to that Northern Ireland game, you might get a few changes, bearing in mind they'll expect to beat Northern Ireland. And you might see one or so two of the squad members do you, playing. Do you prefer Fran Kirby to come on from the start and play an hour as she did last night? Yeah. Or do you would you prefer to come on as an impact sub when legs are tired and she can really affect the game in a at a decisive period of the game. I think you have to manage Fran Kirby because she has played no football since February. So you have to see just how fit she is. Is she able to play two games in five days, six days? So I think if she's fit enough, you want her to start because at times she is a world-class player. In patches, she can be the, one of the best players in the world. However, I think 
it's asking a lot of someone who has had a chronic fatigue syndrome for six months to not play any football for their club, play a handful of minutes in a couple of the warm-up games and then start two, three games back-to-back in the tournament. I think maybe you switch her out for the next one, bring her back for the third one, if if that's if that's available to you, if, if she's still got a few issues. If she's fine, absolutely flying, and the statistics and the analysis and the sports science people say she's ready, then I think you start her because... What you want is for her to hit form as the tournament goes on because there's no doubt she's the best number 10 in the squad when she's 100% fit. I think Serena Vigman hinted at it, didn't she, um, during the, the warm-up games when she used pretty much every member of the squad. She knows this is going to be a squad game. So I think you're right. I think I would expect England to go strong um, against Norway. Clearly, the, the, the stiffest uh, test that they will face. In fact, the Northern Ireland manager, I, I spoke to him earlier this week and he said they're the second best team in the world, um, Norway. So that's a magnitude of, of the task that England are facing. And I think once they've got that game done, I think the team against Northern Ireland may well be very different and a chance to to rest some players and a chance to give some minutes to, to the fringe players. Yeah. Well, Can I just say one, one quick thing? I, 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 I Just back to where we started in a way. What I love about the coverage in across the papers this morning is that as we were saying last week, I really do think that some of these lionesses are going to become household names by the time the Euros are over, just because they are going to be in the public consciousness more and more as the tournament wears on. Um, and when you look at the column inches and the colour pieces and the analysis and the pages that have been devoted to them and the game and the occasion, it, honestly, I, I really do think not hope i think that we will start to uh, come to know a lot more of these players and their abilities by the time the tournament's over yeah and you know that i think nothing says you are in the spotlight like having your image emblazoned on the side of tower bridge mm-hmm. as happened to leah williamson earlier in the week yeah norway next live on talk sport um and uh, you know one of the greatest players in the world ada herdeberg is uh, back for norway uh, for this uh, tournament, after a, a period of uh, of uh, reflection, sabbatical, what did she do? She decided that she, well, she fell out with the Norwegian FA, so she didn't play for a little while. But she's back in the fold, and she is a danger, and England will have to be careful of that. That's down in Brighton on Monday night, and it is live on TalkSport. The Northern Ireland games and the England games are all on the TalkSport network, and of course, all the best uh, build-up and previews as well all over the station. And look, you know, it's 13 victories now. Uh, so 13 games unbeaten now, seven victories in a row now for England. So that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, right, OK, let's uh, have a look at some of the transfers and tittle-tattle that's doing the rounds as far as the Premier League clubs are concerned. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? 
Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Raheem Sterling has agreed personal terms uh, with Chelsea over the course of the week. Uh, the deal was around about £45 million, and it means that he will hopefully join Chelsea's Tour of America this week, which means that Darren Lewis will get an exclusive interview for us uh, to put on the podcast, I think. Is that right, Darren? Is that what you're trying to do? That's the aim. Yeah, you're go- where are you going? You're going, to- you're going to Charlotte? Charlotte, Orlando, uh, New York, and Vegas. Sounds a tough gig. Darren. What? Really You're going gig. where? Say that again. Charlotte, New York, Orlando, and Vegas. Yeah. Viva Las Vegas. Well, I've just got back from uh, Vegas, so I'll give you a few tips of where to go. Yeah, uh, but where are you yeah. staying? Do you know? Don't know yet. Don't know yet. So are they playing but- in Vegas, Chelsea? Who cares? <laughs> it, it, Sorry. Clearly, I didn't mean that. <laughs> it, it won't be the same, though, Darren, as our little Madrid jaunt without me by your side. Well, absolutely. I still have the pictures. I might provide one for the pods uh, to promote this week's pod um, <laughs> because that was a great deal of fun. We yeah. should do that again, you know, road trip. You went. Season. You two went. You went to Madrid, and then you sent me loads of pictures and said, "This is not for publication." <laughs> and of course you published them straight away <laughs> um, uh, right so w- what, what does he do for Chelsea uh, Raheem Sterling and it's not going to be the only signing that they pick up uh, is it uh, Alex because they're after uh, Delict, they're after uh, uh, Matthias Nunes as well they're looking to strengthen this squad before the start of the season quite considerably yeah and obviously you've got the name Cristiano Ronaldo um, lurking in the background stories on Thursday morning that Todd Bowley was preparing an opening offer I think as far as Manchester United are concerned, despite what they're putting out publicly, that Ronaldo isn't for sale, that he has a year left on his contract. I think there's an increasing acceptance that it's going to be very difficult to keep Ronaldo. I'm still not convinced uh, that Thomas Tuchel will be 100% sold on the idea of, of Cristiano Ronaldo spearheading the attack. But I think Todd Bowley is keen to make a statement signing. So this could come down to a battle between player, uh, sorry, between manager um, and chairman. But in terms of Raheem Sterling, I think it's a great move for Chelsea. £45 million uh, for an England international, England's best player, arguably, at the European Championship. Someone who scored goals um, on a regular basis in the Premier League for a number of years now. Somebody who brings dynamism uh, to a Chelsea attack desperately in need of that. I don't see a downside for Chelsea or Raheem Sterling. And I'm going to say, I think Manchester City will miss Sterling. Well, I think they'll miss his goals, won't they? Because that's one thing that he has certainly been uh, very good at for Manchester City over the course of the last few years. Everyone talks about the chances he misses, but he's won four Premier League titles, nine major trophies, and scored 131 goals in 339 appearances for Manchester City. Look, he's out of contract at the end of uh, next season, so they were always going to have to cash in on him if they weren't going to extend his deal. The fact is that Manchester City, despite the fact that they may well miss his his flair, invention, his running off the ball and his goals have managed to replace probably some of those goals with Julian Alvarez and Erling brought Haaland and they've brought in Calvin Phillips as well. I think they've had a probably a, a very good uh, transfer window, Manchester City. And they're in the process of turning over the squad a little bit, aren't they? Sort of changing things under Pep Guardiola. Uh, and the other side of Manchester, though, there's lots of speculation about who might or might not join. Uh, Frankie de Jong, something to do with deferred wages, which is becoming a real problem. Is that right, Darren? Yeah, £17 million pounds of them. Um, and again, something there's something about this deal which to me screams the boy does not want to go. Um, and I know we debated this last week and the week before, and you were saying, look, this is all about PR. And, you know, he's got to say it because he knows that Barcelona um, want to get him out. But I, I, I'm just deeply uncomfortable about it. And this is another of those barriers, these stumbling blocks, a huge amount of money, which of course you need to go to Man United right now if you're a stellar player, because what else do they have to offer you? Uh, you know, the, the the best players quite clearly want to leave. They're not in the Champions League. They're in the Europa League. Uh, the manager may have done well in an inferior league, but he 
it's it's very very different in the Premier League, and he's got it all to prove. So um, yeah, De Jong is going to United, but I'm not so sure it's going to be a good fit. I'm even less sure that he'll stay for a long time. Um, because I don't necessarily see in other areas of the pitch the improvement that United need to suggest that they're going to break into the top four. What's happening with Lissandro Martinez, Crook? Uh, well, he's informed Ajax that he wants to leave. Um, Manchester United at the moment have the highest bid on the table. I think Arsenal is still uh, very much in the running. I think United are confident that he will pick them because of his relationship with Eric Ten Hag, and I think that would be a, a very important signing. Uh, somebody can come in and play on the left side of uh, the central defence, can play at left back if he needs to, and can even play in that defensive midfield role. I'm keen on the Anthony situation because I was told a few weeks ago <laughs> that uh, he was very much a, a big target of Ten Hag as well. I think at the moment the price tag that Ajax want around about 70 million euros is proving a bit rich, but that may change uh, if and when Ronaldo leaves. But he isn't a, a direct replacement. He's not a, a centre forward. And this brings into question Marcus Rashford. Is he going to be the man um, to step into Ronaldo's shoes after such a wretched season last year? Because I can't see it being Anthony Martial. I know United are talking uh, to the advisors of several strikers around Europe. But as we know, it's not a particularly flooded market at number nine. They're a dying breed. Yep. Um, On Lissandro Martinez of Ajax, who could be going to Manchester United, Rio Ferdinand has had his say on him, says Martinez, left-footed, very good on the ball, very good distributor of the ball. But there are still going to be question marks about him. Is he quick enough? Is he big enough? Is he going to be dominant enough in a league that demands your physicality being tip-top? You've got to be ready physically to play against these big strikers. And that is something that... um, one Rio has said, but also players that have come in from different leagues have found when they come into the Premier League that the physicality is unbelievable. Speak to any of the German players that have come across from the Bundesliga. They will tell you that it is a marked difference and it does take time to adjust. Now, listen, some people don't take time to adjust. The Portuguese boy, um, Luis Diaz, he didn't take any moments at all to adjust to the league, but slightly different, especially for a central defender, Darren. Absolutely, it is. Um, and it's interesting, Rio's words, because Nemanja Vidic, no less, struggled when he came in. I think he struggled for the first year because um, I was reading Patrice Evra's book and he was talking about the fact that both he and Vidic had words with each other uh, when they because they arrived at the same time. And they were talking about how difficult they found it, but obviously there was that determination to make it work at the time. And we both know what they did in the Man United shirt. It will be tough for uh, Martinez, particularly because right now United are not the United of old. Lots of inferior teams are not showing them any respect. They'll go out there to attack them, to really pinpoint their fragilities and you know if you're coming into a defense that's fairly settled already and has a winning mentality and isn't as fragile as United's are then it's relatively easy to slot in not very easy obviously Vidic went to a good man United side and still couldn't get in there but it's easier if you like if you're going into this man United you know you've got Maguire next to you who has no pace Moran's injury prone um, you're not really getting a settled side. You've just signed a new left back, so you've got to start to uh, bed in with him. You don't know who's going to be playing at right back, whether it's Dalla, whether it's Juan Bissaka. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, Crook, you might be in a better position. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of that back four. There is just no cohesion. And that, more than anything, is what Ten Hag is going to have to find going into the new campaign. I think Wan-Bissaka has given himself a, a stay of execution. I think Ten Hag has been quite impressed with the attitude that he's shown returning early for, for pre-season, but obviously Dallow uh, ended last season the first choice right back, not good enough for me. Wan-Bissaka has limitations in terms of going forward and actually uh, somebody made a really good point um, over the course of the weekend. It might have been Anton Ferdinand on the, on the boot room was saying that Wan-Bissaka is good uh, in a team that spends seventy percent of the time out of possession because he's a defender, uh, you know, first and foremost. But if you're if you're looking to play a possession-based game and really take it to the opposition, it doesn't really suit his style. So, it, intrigued to see what happens there. Listen, it's only the first week in July. I keep saying this: the, the windows open until September the first. I know the season is only a month away now. 
at the moment, Manchester United are in a far worse position uh, than the teams they're going to be competing with for the top four and even the top six, given that, you know, the, the likes of Arsenal, Tottenham, uh, Chelsea with Raheem Sterling, City and Liverpool have all got their business done early. So I can understand Manchester United supporters' frustrations and this Ronaldo circus that is developing is just an unwanted headache for all concerned with the club. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Chelsea could be accused of getting their business done early. I think, you know, they would have liked to have got in a couple of central defenders before they go off on the uh, American tour. But that is, you know, certainly... You're right, 57 days before the closing of the transfer window. I do always believe, though, the, the earlier you get players into the, the dressing room, the better, rather yeah. than uh, it being something that goes on for a long time. You talked about a saga with Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, the idea of one of these big transfers that Chelsea are trying to do, not getting over the line until the season's already started, would be a real worry because actually they got a, quite a tough start to the season. And Matthias De Ligt is obviously one that they've put quite a lot of energy into. Seventy-five million pounds. You know, that's a lot of money to spend on a on a twenty-two-year-old central defender when you're trying to replace the experience, the null, the motivational skills of Antonio Rudiger. And they're two very different characters as well, Rudiger uh, and Delict. As you yeah. say, it's very hard to replace that uh, that aura that Rudiger had in the dressing room. And it, it does pose the question. I know. Obviously, they'll point to the government sanctions, but the Rudiger situation for me was allowed to get too far down the line. Anyway, yeah, I think he was always much harder earlier on, wasn't he? He wanted to go to Real Madrid, which is you know fair enough if that's what you want to do. Then but then even if he happen. did, though, Sam, even if he did, as what Crook is saying is that they should have been able to sell him rather than allow him to walk out the door. Yes, for free. that is a that is a good point. Yeah, and 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 had they been more decisive. 12 months previously, it would have been hard to do, but at least they could have got a big fee for him. Instead, he walks out the door and that makes the £75 million that the liquid cost even more of a, of an ouch, if you like. I was trying to find the right word, which I should really, being in the job I'm in, but um, I, I, I think that there is more pressure all round at Chelsea because this is not like the days of Abramovich where you can spend it. If it doesn't work, you write it off, you go again. Bowley wants accountability. He wants bang for his buck. And that's why the pressure is going to be on to make this signing work if it's going to be delict. I heard that Bayern Munich had come from the clouds to try and get him. but And, and it looked for a time as though he was going to go there, but it now looks as though it's back on for Chelsea, which would be a big, big acquisition. If they were to get him and Kunde from Sevilla, suddenly I'd start to get optimistic again about Chelsea. But just one very quick point. I would have liked to have seen both them and United get signings in ahead of this weekend because the margins are so fine, certainly in terms of the title race. You can't afford to be writing off six points at the start of the season while you bed your new players in. And the second reason is that race for the top four, it's so competitive, so congested that you just can't afford to waste time. And I think that vital time could cost Chelsea and Manchester United. Where do you think Ronaldo is going to go, by the way? It's a million dollar question, isn't it? Obviously, yeah. You thought he was going to stay straight away afterwards, didn't you? You thought it was a bit of a ruse and eventually they'd keep him. I did. I'm not. I'm not quite so confident in that. Uh, you're in back, that judgment. You're now. backtracking. Uh, well, Bayern Munich comments that Oliver Kahn has made appear to have distanced since it's six, seven, from signing. Yeah. Be, be, be. That's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> I think PSG is still hovering in the background. But do you really want another big ego if you're Christophe Galtier? The, the Chelsea links don't go away. As I say, I know that they're being heavily led by Todd Bowley, and I do think the information uh, on them. Uh, basically coming from the George Mendes camp. So there is still a bit of uh, Mendes trying to whip up interest in his client. Will United sell to, to Chelsea? Can they sell to a Premier League rival? Why That's not? a big question, isn't it? I think. Why but not? It's not a great look, is it? I don't see why United wouldn't be happy to sell to a Premier League rival. They were happy to take a Premier League rivals player when they took Van Persie, for example, from Arsenal a few years back. And... <sighs> they're simply not the force they used to be in terms of thinking, oh my goodness, if we take, if we sell to this club, we're going to be weakened. I mean, you shouldn't really have that fear. Uh, and the biggest clubs don't. So I don't think it should be a thing for United. And if it is, then it just is an example of how far they've fallen. 
Yeah, I, I think it will be a consideration for the, the, the hierarchy, but I wonder whether or not actually clearing the decks is quite important to Eric Ten Hag as well, and getting a lot of his own characters in the dressing room is probably uh, a priority. And if you can make a little bit of money on Cristiano Ronaldo, and they will make some money on it, there's no doubt about that, then why not um, give give him to Chelsea if no one else is going to come in for him. I mean, I, I mentioned it before. I think he would fit Chelsea's system because he, he's probably going to stick at the top of the formation and score goals. And what Chelsea didn't have last year was someone who stuck at the top of the formation and scored goals. Uh, so I think that would work for them. Uh, Lingard, where's he going? He might be joining Darren uh, on his flight to America because I think Why? obviously not Chelsea, please no, <laughs> no. But we know there's uh, interest from the Premier League, uh, West Ham. Uh, and Everton uh, appear to be leading the chase. I think his preferred destination of those two is, is still West Ham. But as we've mentioned before, his wage demands are around about £150,000 a week are proving prohibitive. Uh, and I think he's planning a trip to America uh, to see what interest he could get out in the MLS, which maybe gives you um, an, Sorry. an illustration of where Sorry. Lingard's mind is at this moment in time. Is that real? Yeah. Jesse Lingard going to play in the MLS? That is a possibility. That is, that is ludicrous, isn't it? I mean, no disrespect to the MLS, but this is a guy who obviously is wanted by Premier League clubs. Why would he do that? Lifestyle issue? Is that is it is money? It, he's not going to earn more money in the MLS than he's going to earn at a, a, a Premier League club. There's no way that that's possible. Well, that that is that is what is stopping his transfer at this moment in time. He's not going to earn more in the MLS than he is in the Premier League. There is a well, you, severe wage cap. He would be a designated player. Is- but the only reason Sammy'd be going out there is because there, someone somewhere is prepared to offer him. You're only going to travel if someone's indicated that that is the case. That is a cra- that's a crazy set of circumstances, though, right? I agree. I agree with you. And and I'd, I'd go further. I, it's it's hard to say this, but it, it, I just wonder what West Ham are thinking. You know, they they kind of reminded people of just how good a player Lingard is when they signed him on loan. And, you know, to his immense credit, he looked after himself superbly well. He was ready to run for his life and he had a terrific season and forced his way into the England squad. Um, He's done nothing since. Well, look, to be fair to him, he was let down by uh, Ole Gunnar who promised him regular first-team football and didn't give it to him. And then he found himself on the bench at United. But I think he should be going to West Ham. It should be a shoo-in. And he has a real opportunity, not just to get regular first team football and remind people again how good he is, but also even to have an outside chance of the World Cup with a good run of form. To go to the MLS, if you're, if you're looking to see what the best offer is, and I can see why you're a free transfer, you know, you don't just want to settle for something when you can financially benefit as you should from being a free transfer. But I'd feel incredibly let down if I was West Ham. Mm. Um, Issa Diop is currently at West Ham but looks like he's going to go to Fulham and he's not the only one they've spent a few quid haven't they or are about to yeah João Palinha uh, exciting midfield player from Portugal already in the building uh, Manuel Solomon will be coming in on loan from Shakhtar uh, with a view to a permanent move Andreas Pereira uh, switching from Manchester United and as you mentioned it looked like Issa Diop was going to go back to France it was all pretty much agreed as I understand it with Leon, and we've seen so many transfers hijacked at the 11th hour this summer this looks like it will be another because Fulham have come in with a bid that uh, Leon at this moment in time haven't matched around about 17 million pounds I think Diop's a good signing for Fulham Premier League experience strengthens the back line Darren is shaking his head but we know in, in Fulham's last two Premier League campaigns Conceding goals has been a problem. Tim Ream, for all his battling qualities and brilliant character and the way he plays in the Championship, he can't make the step up to the Premier League. So they need a central defender. They looked at Eric Bailly um, with his injury record. I think that would have been a dangerous move. Um, Darren can tell us why Diop isn't going to be a good signing for Fulham. No, no, no. I was shaking my head because my wife asked me if I could pick her up after work. Do you know what he was doing, Crook? He was conducting personal business on company time. And bearing in mind that... He sent me a text while I was working. Bearing I'm, in mind, I'm doing the podcast at the moment. Yeah. I'll, I'll text you off. It's funny though, but you didn't get up and walk out, did you? That was quite amazing no, of you. You didn't, no, you didn't just, just just go, just decide halfway through the podcast <laughs> that actually there was something better for you to do. So you just got up and walk out. I could swear, I swear Crook actually said the words, I've had enough of this. <laughs> Earlier on during the podcast, and you might not have been aware of this because, you know, we don't notice when he's missing. Uh, but he just 
got up, said, I've got to take a phone call, and walked out, exited the Zoom, went on the radio station, and then popped back in later with some comment after missing half the conversation. <laughs> it's uh, outrageous behaviour. Multitasking. So, so, Darren, it's a deal. You, you don't think it'll be a bad move for Fulham? I don't think it'll be a bad move at all. He's a good player. Um, he's a good young player. I know Newcastle looked at him for a time around about this time last year and then moved on to other targets. Um, I, I think, sorry, not last year, in January. Um, I think he's a fine player who's just kind of lost his way and probably could do with um, a side, being in a side where there's less pressure so that he can rediscover his confidence. But I agree with you. Good player, good acquisition for Fulham. It's nice to see they're building from the back uh, with pr- players with Premier League experience. And I think they could be a good team next season. I've just received a text, actually. This, is a, this must be a theme for the podcast. Uh, talk sports sources. Matterface left the after party early last night. Pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> I, what, what time did I leave? What was early? About two o'clock in the morning, I think I left. That was that's acceptable, isn't it? Oh, that is early for you. Let me tell you, Alex will tell you, Alex will tell you, I have a habit of making an exit at just the right time, just Uh before it goes a little bit west. So, you know, when things are starting to just spice up that little bit much, I'll just slope off out the door and make sure I keep myself a little bit clean, yes. So, and I'm not then getting it. And then case. you read about all of the fireworks on Twitter the exactly, next day. Exactly. Yes. You know, I just keep out the way. I just don't want to be involved in that. You know, you know what it's like? That 4am that 4 crowd get up to a lot of naughtiness, and I just don't want to be involved in that. It's a fact, it's a fact of the matter. Well, to be fair, to, talking of that, I mean, look, it's been a pleasure working with you lot for the past 18 months, but I can't in all conscience... Uh, stay for much longer. <laughs> I mean, I'll still be here. You won't get rid of me. And even if I do resign, I'll be here until at least the autumn when we find a successor. <laughs> and, no, and no one's going to do it for that money. <laughs> uh, dear, oh dear. Um, Shall we have a quick word on Tarek Lamptey because he switched allegiances from England to Ghana. Yeah, no real surprise. Uh, this was coming at the back end of last season. We spoke, uh, assembled media to Graham Potter about it and he said that he would uh, guide him through any decision, but ultimately Lamptey would make uh, the decision that's in the best interest of his future. He's in, he's in the unfortunate position of being a right-footed fullback, uh, stroke wing-back in England. I've got quite a few of those. Yeah. It's an opportunity for Lamptey to go and play as a young player at the World Cup. Uh, Gala obviously um, have been on a recruitment drive led by Chris Hewton, former Brighton manager. I don't think he'll be the last um, potential England player to switch allegiances and I think it'll be exciting to see how it works out for Ghana. Yeah, Hudson Adore is another one that's on their radar as well, I think. Um, The the, the truth is, is that I've I've said this before and you, me and Stuart Pearce were in a studio together a couple of weeks ago where we were discussing this and he said it, international football to him has become a little bit of a flag of convenience really um, my view on it is slightly different to that I, I believe that if you cannot see a pathway to be an England superstar go and be a superstar uh, for a country that you are eligible to mm. represent look we've all got different heritages and the fact is is that ultimately it may well be that he feels as Ghanaian as he does English you know the truth is, is is that is up to him it's a personal choice I would encourage him to go and do it because I think being a star in a in an African country like that will give you a completely different dimension to your career going forward. And it's a great experience playing in some of the big tournaments. I totally agree with you. I think if you look at the England team, the England squad, there are some highly talented players who are nowhere near it and are left kicking their heels in frustration at the end of every time a squad is picked. There are a number of players who should be in squads, maybe all might miss out, but should be at major tournaments um, who are not playing. And and I think that Chris Hewitt is going to be very astute in terms of hoovering up those players, is saying to them, look, don't you worry, I'll play you if you come and join me. And some of those players might, let's not kid ourselves, for commercial reasons, decide that they want to hang, hang in there as far as England is concerned. But... More and more now we're seeing a lot of them are saying, you know what, I'm going to count my losses. 
I can play World Cups. I can play European Championships if I go and play or, or play Africa Cup of Nations tournaments, you know, depending on what country you go to. If I just suddenly decide England's not for me. Matty Kaszlowski, um, who's playing for Poland now and scored a great goal for Poland recently. Yeah, and well, it, 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 listen, he's one of a number of players, as I say. I was, I was actually thinking of Wilfred Zaha who is yeah. uh, plays with the Ivory Coast, goes to Africa Cup of Nations tournaments and plays the international football that he feels he should be playing at this stage of his career. Had he waited for England, he possibly still would be waiting for England. So good on Tarek Lamptey, and I think more players should follow his lead. Yeah, James Madison's just going through his uh, family tree to see if he's got Pharaohese, <laughs> Pharaohese uh, um, ancestry. Or who did Vinnie Jones play for? Didn't Vinnie Jones play for some random country? He played for Wales, uh, didn't he? For, for, did, was it Wales? It's not really that random, is it? Wales. It was random at the time. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, uh, Maddie no, Son. Maddie Son. He could be Icelandic, couldn't he? You never know. Could is it, be. Is it George Baldock? Sheffield United has just turned out for Greece. Is that right? Or Cyprus? Have I made that up? I'm uh, sure. I don't know. Uh, Callum uh, Styles of Barnsley is playing for Hungary now. Yeah, he played against England, but I'm pretty sure George Baldock is also. Um, yeah, he's he's Greek. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, well listen, 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 I, this is exactly. Ancestry. Good on him. Good. Good on him because. The, you know, He'll make the, loads of money. Look at Ben Brereton Diaz. He's on Pepsi adverts in, in South America, making a hell of a lot of cash. Good luck to him. Good luck to him. Good luck to all of them. We need to go international. cannot wait. Listen, there was a time, and, and you guys give me stick about uh, uh, me being older than you, but I can remember the time when England did not have the quality of coming out of his ears. You know, we got 14 right backs. What was 1978 like? It was very... The the only member of the panel who can actually remember the last winter of discontent. (laughs) I can't can't actually remember the last winter of discontent. What was the four-day week like? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, my kids actually say to me sometimes, tell us about the olden days. And I say to them, well, we had four channels... <laughs> and no, you didn't. You, you only had three, to... you liar. No, we had four. In 1982, Channel Four. Yeah, yeah. Well, year I, I was born. Was it really? We are. We are so going off the track here. Yeah, we? we really are. But anyway, it's, it's the, the summer. summer. <laughs> right, uh, Darren. Thank you very much for uh, uh, staying up as late as you did. Managed to do without having a nap in between. Um, <laughs> Crook, thanks for staying for the majority of the podcast. We appreciate it. Um, right, okay. Um, we are back. When are we back? Does anyone know when we're back? What are we doing next? I've got, I always forget now when we're on. Because, uh, is it Tuesday? Is it Tuesday? Tuesday the 12th we're doing as well. So we're back on Tuesday the 12th. After, after the Lionesses. After the Lionesses have played on Monday night against uh, Norway live on Tour. So we'll speak to you after that. Uh, Crookie, thank you very much. Darren, thank you very much. Thanks for downloading the Game Day podcast and we'll speak to you soon. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.